Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Youth Positively Speaking's new mini-series, where we'll be discussing many different topics surrounding parenting and the LGBTQ plus community. My name is Paige Ewing, and I work at Prevention Resources as a multimedia specialist. Prevention Resources is a nonprofit located in New Jersey that is dedicated to promoting health and wellness of individuals, families, and community through education, collaboration, advocacy, and treatment. I have with me Leslie Gable, the co-CEO of Prevention Resources, and Aaron Cohen, Prevention Resources Prevention Director. To add to our conversation, we have our expert, Dr. Dennis Flores. Dennis, can you please introduce yourself? Sure thing, Paige. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me again. Um, I am Dennis Flores. I'm an assistant professor here at Penn Nursing at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, my research uh, and clinical work in the last decade and a half has been focused on um, LGBTQ-specific HIV SCI prevention. Um, and so it's a thrill to be part of your new series. Dr. Flores, in this episode, we're talking about preventative health for LGBTQ youth. Um, I know back in the past, uh, HIV uh, in particular was a very big concern. Um, so let's start off in that area for our adolescents in preventative health. Uh, can you give us an update on what we should be talking about in the area of preventative health and HIV? Yeah, um, I think it really has to be recognized that, you know, for a lot of parents nowadays, especially this cohort of younger parents, their only awareness of HIV uh, was in the context of, you know, the dark days, the early years of HIV and what a scary scenario that that was. Um, and while HIV is still a major concern for some subpopulations of LGBTQ folks, um, it's not as scary as it used to be. It's no longer a death sentence that it once was. Um, and I think we need to start considering that, you know, being LGBTQ in itself does not translate to negative health. It just so happens to be that the social determinants of health surrounding these LGBTQ adolescents are arranged in such a way that does not provide the best resources for them. Thus, for some groups, there is higher negative mental health or higher negative sexual health. Um, and so now that things are slightly getting better in terms of our awareness of the specific needs of this population, we can start looking at HIV as just one of those concerns at a specific time and that we've now developed a myriad of technologies, of science to mitigate the risk factors. Uh, for example, that young men who have sex with men have in terms of exposure to HIV. Um, things have evolved in the last 40 something years of uh, this, this local pandemic that we, we initially had. Um, and so we've got lots of medications that are available, young, everybody, uh, regardless of how they identify in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity, for example, they can take a daily medication, a tablet called PrEP, pre-exposure -expo pre prophylaxis, um, to ward off any potential infection if they should be exposed uh, to HIV during, uh, during sex. We also have PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis, if you found yourself engaging in sexual behavior or any kind of potential exposure with the virus, you can take this medication 24 hours or a couple of days after that exposure to also minimize or eliminate your risk for contracting HIV or uh, developing into HIV infection. So these are just two tangible developments in the last decade or so uh, that has 
allowed for us to to not to start not equating HIV just with men who have sex with men or with other subpopulations. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's the biggest concern for parents. And a lot of parents probably still don't know about that. If they're in, you know, if they're a married couple, they may not even realize that prep and pepper out there. So I think that's a fantastic um, resource to know that that's out there for our youth. Oh, you're totally right. And unfortunately, even though PrEP, for example, has been available for the last decade, we in public health have not done a really good job in reaching out to other sub-communities that this might not initially have been, uh, you know, um, investigated for. And so now we're really trying to get to where parents are because they are the ones who are the gatekeepers of their young person's health. Who has the insurance card or who maintains that health insurance? It's the parents. And so if I can only get the parents to talk to their LGBTQ youth and say, you know, this insurance card, I want you to use this if you ever find a need for it. Feel free to contact our doctor or use it to get some medications from the pharmacy. Know that it will be covered and that I'm proud of you for taking care of yourself. Um, and those are the normalizing conversations around sexual health that we'd like to encourage parents to develop and be more, um, you know, skilled at. So in the same line with the conversations is talking about the medications, but also talking about protection. We still want them to use protection and things like that. So what are some other health issues that parents need to be aware of with their kids? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um for one, I think you also touched upon, you know, this previous mindset that parents uh, had. And I think, for example, when we're talking about HPV vaccines, um, it also applies to males, to adolescent males or even young adult male males in their 20s. So, you know, um, HPV, uh, unfortunately, you know, is also a concern because penile and anal cancer in men, as well as uh, cancer in the throat and the tongue and the tonsils, um, the vaccine can protect against that, along with precancerous lesions in, uh, in genital warts. Um, and so if we have adolescent boys uh, under the age of 15, uh, able to start the age, able to start and complete the two dose vaccine series, that would go a long way in protecting and ensuring the health of adolescent males who have who will be having sex with other males. Um, and then we also have the MPOX vaccine. Last year, we had an outbreak of the of MPOX. Uh, and since then, we've developed some uh, vaccines that are actually available for free. Uh, but this is something that I don't know that the general population has much awareness about. So I want to plant that seed for parents who want to make sure that, you know, their young person uh, who happens to have uh, sex beyond you know, an opposite sex partner, uh, there is a two dose vaccine for MPOX as well, uh, that will be helpful in keeping them, you know, uh, safe and minimizing their risk for cancer in the future. Um, and then lastly, uh, there's this new emergent thing called Doxypep, uh, which is a preventive pre post exposure, uh, preventive treatment for syphilis, chlamydia and gonorrhea. Uh, and there's a lot of information uh, that's being developed out there for this now, uh, but it's essentially within three days of exposure or condomless sexual encounter, um, two tablets of doxycycline um, is what is advised. And then um, 
doing one doing it one more time, one dose uh, the next day. Uh, guidelines are being developed for doxypep, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, but these are just some recent examples that I think parents should have in mind beyond the concern for HIV. Uh, HIV is still there, uh, but we want them to know that, you know, there are many ways that they can partner with their young person so that they stay uh, healthy. Dr. Flores, can I take you back? You were saying MPOX. What, what is that? Can you tell us a little bit what that is, please? Yeah, so MPOX, it used to be called monkeypox, uh, but we didn't want to be stigmatizing, uh, you know, a specific population. So the scientific community has started to call it MPOX. Um, and okay. this is an issue where sores develop in the uh, genital areas, uh, in the mouth, uh, in specific areas of the body that has been exposed uh, uh, to this, to the pox. And so it can be very painful. It can result in lesions um, and may vary in when the symptomology will appear within a few days to a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's been observed, uh, it's been passed on through uh, skin to skin contact uh, and the rates are higher among gay, bisexual and same gender loving men uh, or those who engage in uh, sex work. So there's a couple of other specific criteria, specific um, characteristics of the populations most at risk for it. But as I said, there's a vaccine that's been developed since the outbreak last year, and we're very glad that you know the role. Uh, there are different avenues for accessing that vaccine, most commonly through the health, your local health department, or at least you could be referred to uh, a facility, hopefully nearby. Can I ask, um, and I, I know we went right into this, and I know we, we briefly touched on this, um, um, but protective health, and this goes for really, you know, for, for all of our adolescents. Can you touch on that, please, as far as pr protective sex? Because I, yeah. I think we, we touched on that really quickly, but we I think it's very important in all conversations uh, for all adolescents. And I think it's very important. We always bring, you know, always important to bring it up, I'll always uh, make sure that we say it. Yeah. Well, to me, my definition of protective health is really any kind uh, accessing any kind of intervention that minimizes one's risk for contracting uh, a negative sexual health outcome. So it might range anywhere from your regular STIs and HIV to some of these emerging issues. Um, so I, we should also say that condoms are still around and they're still a great way to protect oneself, right? From exposure. So just having the mindfulness that there is a range of technology, there's a range of options if you go to your local pharmacy, but normalizing the use of those technology of these uh, products is what's key. So whereas when I was growing up, there was shame attached with, with preventive health because it kind of insinuated that one was engaging in behavior that was unacceptable. Um, and if we just start removing these layers of shame that we've imposed upon a process that should be routine, it's, it's kind of like going to your dentist to get checked for your oral health. I mean, why can't we have the same kind of neutral uh, countenance as we have these conversations, right? And I think that's the goal that you all have it with your organization and the same kind of ethos behind my work is removing all of the baggage that we have around these very important conversations and the use of these technologies. 
So just one last question for you, Dr. Flores, when we're talking about parents talking to their kids and kind of trying to get rid of the stigma and taboo, I know that it's really difficult for fathers with gay sons to have that conversation because it's very foreign to them. What can a father who obviously is heterosexual, what can they say to their sons who are gay to have these conversations about protecting themselves? There are, from the research that we've conducted here at Penn Nursing, research on families with gay, bi, and queer cisgender sons, research with families with lesbian, bisexual, cisgender daughters, and those with trans youth and gender non-binary ones, across all these family types. When we ask young people to rate their parents as sexual health educators, the dads don't fare as well as the moms do. And so what that shows to me is that there's a lot of room for us to work with dads. And when we ask the young people, who do you prefer be uh, the main source of some type of information? Surprisingly, they tell us that it's their dad. So it, it's mind blowing to me. And what that actually also communicates is that they there's a wish for dads to go beyond binary or to go beyond gendered expectations like, oh, sex talks are mom's responsibility. No, it's not exactly that. They want to hear guidance from these very important father or father figures that they have. And so if we can go beyond um, just thinking that, you know, there are some roles or topics that are germane for males versus females. That's that's really passe. That's really uh, not the point that young people want to hear about now, that it's all of us taking responsibility for our health, regardless of who our partner is, you know, and premised on loving, respectful relationships. Uh, and so I think for dads, it would be helpful to, to have that framing of, uh, you know, even if there was awkwardness, even if there was lack of information that is germane for these young, uh, young individuals, uh, dads can co-partner with their young person to find that resource together. You know, it's, it's like a, a plot twist of sorts for, uh, for parents, but dads can take the lead and say, hey, let's look this up so that you and I can learn together. And so the pressure hopefully is just minimized a little bit because now you're saying we're on equal footing, but I'm still your dad and I want to be involved and I want to be sure that you're taking care of yourself. So let's go and Google things together. And I'm, I'm going to guess that dads will know how to sift through all the misinformation and know what the good, accurate information sources are, right? And I think that's like a low stakes way that dads can approach this conversation. Sorry, it's long winded, but it's a very important question. So thanks for that, Erin. Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, parents want their children to be healthy. So if we look at all the things that are out there to help keep them healthy, whether it's in what they eat to taking care of their sexual health, that's what we need to focus on. Absolutely. And like you said, Dr. Flores, we are all responsible for the health and well-being of our entire communities. And so, of course, I want to thank you, Penn Nursing Parents Assist, for joining us for this conversation of health. And for those of you listening, thank you for joining in with us in promoting LGBTQ health. For more information about LGBTQ resources, as Leslie mentioned, within our community, we encourage you to visit our website, njprevent.com. And of course, we want to thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time for more Youth Positively Speaking. 